Grab your Bibles. We are going to be in Acts chapter 18 this week. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And turn on over to chapter 18. We're going to look at the entire chapter today, but we'll do it piece by piece. Um, and so just to kind of catch you up, last week Samuel Cassing was preaching and um, talked about Paul in, in Athens and, and, and where he shared the gospel uh, with those in the city, and, and some of them mocked him. Uh, mocked him for, for the resurrection, and it seemed ridiculous. Uh, and, and yet some of them believed the gospel, and there was great encouragement from that. So uh, today we're going to see Paul continue to travel. This time he's going to the city of Corinth. Uh, it's a new city with a different culture, different people, uh, and yet these people there have the same desperate need for salvation that, that we've seen in every city that Paul has been to, in every city you and I could possibly go to around the globe. Um, and, and so that's the hope he brings, the hope of, of salvation. And so... Uh, like I said, we'll look at the whole chapter, verse, uh, chapter 18. We're going to start with uh, the first 11 verses, so follow along. Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudia, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out the, his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named <clears throat> Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Uh, to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, your word is precious, and we ask that you enlighten our minds this early morning to hear it and to believe it, and for it to taste like honey to our souls. May we understand it properly in the context it was written, and may we apply it rightly to the context of the lives we now live. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So Paul arrives in, in Corinth, and Corinth was a, a city that was known for prosperity. It was known for uh, excess. There was this uh, reputation for having a lack of any moral fiber or fabric. Um, and, and this greater sense of just hedonism, this pursuit of pleasure. In fact, if they had a, a PR firm, their slogan might have been, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Um, yes, it had a reputation a bit like Las Vegas has today. Um, and like Vegas, there are those who love the Lord and have made this city their home. And I say that for you because you are from Vegas, right? Um, and, and it's true. It was a, it's an eye-opening idea that, you know, here's a city with this horrible reputation, and yet there are believers there that are making a difference even in the midst of this. So 
anyway, uh, upon his arrival, Paul meets this Italian couple, couple uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they're married and their names go together amazingly. It's fun to say their words. In our, our presbytery, we actually have some, some missionaries who uh, have similar names, not the similar names, but they go together. It's Sandy and Mandy, uh, and their names go together just like Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, and I can never tell who's the husband and who's the, the wife. And it's really confusing when you actually meet them because you're like, who's Mandy, who's Sandy? Um, but anyway, they, these two come to Corinth, and uh, the reason that they're there is that the Roman emperor, Claudius, has deported the Jews because there's been disputes. And the disputes most likely were between uh, uh, Jews and Christians at the time. And, and anyway, they get booted out, and so they have traveled all the way to the city of Corinth. And so, uh, like Paul, they make their money, they make their living by, by um, making tents, which includes all sorts of other leather work as well. Uh, and that's one of those things you get to peek in on Paul's life a bit. Sometimes we forget uh, that he had to go around. He was haggling prices with people for these tents and, you know, making money and finding a place to stay and a place to eat and all these kind of things in his normal day life that we, we miss in the text sometimes. But uh, so anyway, as usual, Paul spends each Saturday going to the Jewish synagogue and he's trying to present Jesus to them, trying to show them Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and, and that's what he's doing week after week there. And then in verse five and six, we see that. Uh, after his ministry pi- partners, Silas and, and Timothy, actually arrive in Corinth, and then it just kind of glosses right over that, right? Because um, at this point, Paul faces this incredible frustration. He, he's faced this frustration because he's failed to convince those that, who are in attendance in the synagogue that Jesus is the Christ, and he's been putting so much effort into this. And, and the people then are even saying these evil things about Paul. You know, now, you're, now his reputation, his name is being... Uh, insulted that's difficult to take and so uh, he does this thing you know he, he shakes his clothes right this is uh, something we don't tend to do but it's this this sign that you know it's similar to the apostles when they would leave a town that had rejected them or had not received them you know they'd, they'd shake the dust off their feet and so um, and, and then he has this statement and it's nothing like we're used to hearing Paul say but he says your blood be on your own heads I'm innocent from now on I will go to the Gentiles you know, he, he drops the mic. No. Uh, really, though, he, he's saying, I, I, I've tried my hardest. I, I will not feel guilty for a lack of effort, but, but God is not giving you faith to see. And, and I'm going to take my efforts, and I'm going to take it over to the gentles now, because God is not giving any growth here. See, church, let us be satisfied to faithfully do what God has called us to do in evangelism, and that's think of a clear understanding of the gospel, right? Uh, Paul here gets rejected, utterly rejected. And if any of you have ever been rejected, you understand that, you know, he goes home and he eats ice cream right out of the carton and he swears off evangelism for the rest of his life. Because that's what we do when we're rejected, right? But it's not what he does, right? Uh, no, you know, what he does is he continues with the mission, he might leave these people, but the mission continues, and he may be discouraged in this moment of life, but, but he continues. And you see, faithfulness requires us to, to say what needs to be said, even, even when those we speak to don't want to hear it. And, and that's the situation we've got in our text right here, and that means that, that we speak of the wrath of God as well as the grace of God for all who are in Christ Jesus. Um, See, we learn in, in, in the practice of evangelism, and I know, you know we might not have a lot of it, but uh, in the practice of evangelism, that very often one of the quickest things you learn is that you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Laura and I have this kind of vision of life 
uh, as life as like a watering pail. You know, the kind with the handle and the little spout at the end and it rains out of it. And, and, and the idea then is that, that the water inside is, is like the, the life. It's the time you have, and you've only got so much of it that you can pour out into people's lives and, and your children's life and your family's life and your neighbor's life and, and others and stuff. Uh, and, and so in this case, Paul has poured his time and he has poured his life into these people in the synagogue week after weeks. Uh, but having seen no growth, he decides that to continue to pour his life out on these same people at this same time would be an unwise thing. And, and so he leaves, and he goes and he pours his life out in a different garden. Okay, so notice that uh, one thing, he doesn't just quit. It's not that he just quit pouring out. He goes and he pours out somewhere else, right? Um, and you notice that there's, there's many Gentiles who, who later come to faith who would not have heard the gospel if Paul had just remained there pouring himself into people in, in that regard. And this is a very difficult thing because it's hard to know when that moment is. Now, one thing to remember, though, is that the words we speak, they mostly get forgotten, right? Uh, there's weeks when... When I'll get back here, and I don't remember what I preached on the week before, which tells me that you probably don't repeat, remember what I preached on the week before. Uh, and, and to be honest, that's one of the most discouraging things of, of, of preaching is you, you put all this into it, and then you're like, what did I preach last week? You know, it's kind of that, that feeling. But, but the other part of that is that sometimes God lodges the words spoken uh, into our minds, and, 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 um, and they just kind of roll around there, right? They just roll around there until God does something with them. I was in uh, Mississippi two weeks ago. It was a, a wonderful week, and that's why Sam was preaching last week, so I could just go and enjoy it and, and grow and not worry about preparing a sermon. But uh, I was up late one night with some guys, and, and these are some of these guys are young pastors. Some of them are older pastors. And uh, one of the guys shared this story. He's just like, you know, one of the greatest encouragement God's ever gave me uh, came from a, just out of nowhere. He's an older pastor many decades of experience, and he said that early on in his vocational ministry, he was given the task to teach this, this Bible study to some 18-year-olds and uh, seniors in high school, uh, and there were five guys and there were five girls in the Bible study, and uh, on one of the nights he, he went and one of the girls pulled him aside and said, you know, um, I need to tell you something. Uh, one of the other girls in the study is, is pregnant, and, and the father of this child is one of the other boys in, in the study, and he said, you know what, all right, I felt like a failure right then. Um, uh, I don't know what they were studying, but, but he felt like a failure. And so uh, he sat down with these two teenagers that very night, and, and the guy had just been accepted. I believe it was West Point. I'm not 100% sure that was the right school. But, uh, and, and he believed, you know, in his own words, what he said was, my life is ruined. And that's what he thought. And so this couple had this plan. They would get an abortion. Uh, and they would do this so that life could go on the way they planned it and the way they thought it should go, and, and so that in his words, his life wouldn't be ruined. And the pastor just pleaded with them, um, you know, don't, don't think you can cover one sin with another sin. That didn't work. Um, and in fact, he told them, you know, right now is that moment that you've, you've got to decide um, that you're going to obey God in, in this regard, even when it's scary, even when it's absolutely terrifying in your life. And, and he even told them, he said, I believe God will bless you for your obedience in this moment. And he had to leave town because his, his brother-in-law was dealing with cancer and was really struggling in, the, in that battle, and, and so he was gone for a while uh, after that evening. And, and then Eddie, <clears throat> so by the time he had left, they had absolutely rejected his advice, and he was discouraged by that. Um, and yet, the, you know, the words that he had spoken had been rolling around in their head, and eventually it, it stuck. You know, by the time he came back, he didn't know all the details, but he said, you know what, uh, they, two believers, they decided they were going to get married, they were going to keep this child, 
Um, and, and he was encouraged by that, and that was kind of you know, the last thing he told us about the story anyway. Um, and then, so then fast forward these, these 20 years later, 20-something years later, and, and he's an older pastor now, and he's at this Presbyterian meeting in the next state over, and, and, and someone told him, hey, there's this, this young pastor who's looking for you. He wants to ask you some questions about your past. And he said, oh boy, oh, you know, what did I do? Starts thinking, what heresy have I said? You know, what kind of thing. And yet this, and so when this young pastor finally speaks to the older pastor, he asked him, uh, you know, he asked him about this interaction that he had with this young couple many, many years ago. And the young pastor told him, thank you. My wife is that child. And I don't think she would have been born had you not had that conversation with him. And so many years had passed, he had forgotten about it. Like, you never know, what, you know what's going to happen that. And so sometimes even after we've walked away from a situation we've been pouring into, you know, those words just remain rolling around in their head um, until God does something with it. Something similar happens here with Paul. You know, you, you look at the text here. After he leaves the synagogue, Paul goes to the house next door. It's not real far. Um, and, he, and he's in the house of this guy, uh, Titius Justice. And um, this man is identified as a worshiper of God. And, and just about the last person you'd expect to walk in that door and profess faith in Christ, um, along with his entire family, right? Well, it's the leader of the synagogue next door that he's just left, that he'd been preaching to, that he left discouraged. And, and the actual leader walks in and professes faith. You know, Paul had, had left the synagogue, but those words, again, were just rolling around in his head. The gospel spoken was rolling around in the mind of Crispus like a seed that has been planted in a pot, and eventually God causes it to grow. You know, many others believed as well, and so there was encouragement at that moment, and, uh, and yet in verse 9 is where things get really interesting. You see this? Uh, uh, the Lord, that is Jesus actually speaks to Paul in a vision. It's like a dream. It's got specific words to it, though. <clears throat> and remember, Paul is an apostle, okay? Uh, I am not an apostle. You are not an apostle. We do not receive direct revelation from God in visions. We receive revelation from God in his word, right? This is where we go to have God speak to us. The 66 books of the Bible. And I point this out because you can't imagine how many times in my life I've, I've had someone come to me and tell me they have had this direct revelation from God. And, and it usually begins with God told me and then something really crazy afterwards. You know, it's never something normal like uh, that. You know, it, anyway, you know, it's, you know, God told me to, to, to open a banana stand and to write Bible verses on the, on the bananas. Like, all right, that seems fine, but weird. Uh, you know, or... You know, God told me that she has to marry me. You know, that doesn't sound right. Um, <clears throat> and, and I say this to, to caution you to not expect direct revelation in this way, for, you know, that we see Paul receiving here because he's an apostle in a unique situation. Now, God does speak to Paul, right? And he writes it down, and it's in our Bibles. It is direct revelation right here. And, and, and when he does so to Paul, he says this. He says, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. The fact that he says do not be afraid tells us there was something coming or something existing that could cause fear because no one ever says, you know, do not be afraid of that beautiful daisy on the ground. No one says that, you know, uh, because it's not possible. But they might say, you know, be afraid of that dog or don't be afraid of that dog because some dogs can be scary, right? Um, that's kind of the way it is. And so this vision is showing that there is something of which might cause you fear. 
And there's something that that fear might lead to in your life, and I don't want this to happen. Look at the end of verse 9. Silence, right? Fear can cause us to be silent. And we're silent about Jesus because, well, what would people think of me? What if they reject me? What if I mess this up? And so then Paul is instructed not to fear And why is he to go on speaking? Do you notice that? He makes these three promises to Paul. First, God promises that he will be present with Paul. He will not be alone. See, when God gives his people a mission to accomplish, he goes with them. Remember the words of Joshua Joshua to Joshua and Joshua 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And most of you want to sing that, don't you? Because that's the way you learned it. Um, or Isaiah 41.10, when God tells him, Fear not, for I am with you. Or how about the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew, right after the Great Commission, when he tells him, you know, go and make disciples of, of all nations. And, uh, and he says this, he says, And behold, I am with you always. to the end of the age. God's promise to be with Paul here is this this echo of the Old Testament, or the, of the covenant promises, rather, uh, to be with his people, to be with them. And, and we, too, can trust that God is with us. You don't need special revelation to know that because, uh, unique special revelation to you, rather, because you have special revelation in the text of the scripture right here that tells us that. And the second promise that God gives is that no one will attack you to harm you. Uh, that means there's not going to be a, a, a violent uh, physical attack on him. And lastly, God promises that there are people in the city who will believe the gospel. That's real similar to what we saw a while back, Acts 13, 48, uh, where he says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, right? Um, We don't know with the same sort of uh, certainty that Paul receives here, but we do know that there is much comfort in the fact that that God is sovereign in all of life and all of ministry. And, And so be encouraged knowing that when you teach the scriptures to your children, when you share the scriptures with your neighbor, with your spouse, it is not in vain. The, the sovereignty of God in election really should give us, give us hope. Um, because when we proclaim the gospel, it doesn't matter how hard the heart is we speak to, God can cause growth there. I was uh, talking to another guy, funny guy, I wish I'd give you a picture of him, kind of looks like Seth Rogen. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I was talking with this guy, and, and he spent some time ministering in, in Europe with this parachurch organization that was trying to reach out to Muslims. And there was these three college students that, that he was interacting with, and they were kind of friends, and they'd go to movies, and he'd watch it in subtitles. And, uh, you know, they were, they were Muslims, but they were very worldly. Um, so they were lukewarm Muslims, you might say. Um, you know, that was their faith in some regard, but, but they didn't take it real serious. And uh, one night they were wanting him to go out with them, and he was telling them, hey, guys, the whole reason I'm, I'm here is, is to tell you about Jesus. Can we just stop and talk? And uh, they were real kind of frustrated with him. And he said, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus too. Come on, let's go strip club. And he's like, no, no, no. I think you've misunderstood my words and you don't really believe in Jesus like I'm telling you. Uh, and he didn't go with them, but he continued to ask them these questions and you know, what they believe. And, and he kind of kept the subject on this topic of Jesus. And eventually, though, this friendship just kind of fell apart. They went their own way. He went his own way and it, and it disappeared. Um, and he just kind of thought, well, they're never going to believe. And then one day he said he's just sitting in his room and these three guys bust in and, uh, and they find him. And they just start asking these questions about Jesus because something had changed in them. And, and he had nothing to do with it, but he was the guy that they sought out to start asking these questions. Um, and, and eventually from these questions, you know, he was able to present the gospel and they, they believed it. 
And I love these stories because I think sometimes we forget these things happen. You know, even, even sitting here, you think, I don't know the last time I saw someone come to faith in Christ, and that can be a discouraging thing. Uh, some of you, though, at an older age actually came to faith at a later age, and you can think back like, okay, they told me, or I heard this, I listened to that, I read that, some kind of catalyst in your life that God used. Um, but, you know, we, we hear a story like this, and we tend to hear it with these, these secular ears, right? You know, like, oh, great, they changed their view. Isn't that good for them? No. I mean, do you understand how huge this is? Like, God changed their hearts. God gave them faith. You know, God forgives their sin. These three men have not just escaped, like, bad decisions and poor moral choices. They've escaped the wrath of God by the grace of God, having heard the gospel from the lips of some simple child of God who was just willing to speak. That's the sovereignty of God in evangelism. See, God does encourage Paul in this. He, he finds Paul frustrated and fearful at this time, and, he, and he's telling him, you know what? There are those who will believe. What an amazing encouragement that will. And Paul is encouraged. He ends up staying 18 months longer in this town, teaching and preaching. So, you know, let us find rest in the biblical fact that when we speak the truth of the gospel, whether it succeeds or fails... That's in the hands of, of God. Um, so then let's, let's, let's keep moving. Let's read again verse 17, and, and we'll see what happens next. Um, 17. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and, and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to this. Uh, so this guy, Gallio, he's the proconsul. It's kind of like the governor of a region. Um, he was only it for one single year, so this kind of marks you know, a date in history you can nail down in this book, uh, 52 AD, uh, maybe 51, but right about then. Uh, he's also, if you know anything about philosophy, this is the little brother of the Stoic philosopher uh, Seneca. And so you know, one of them has this prestigious name, and the other one gets mentioned here as not paying attention. Um, anyway, so this attack here on Paul in verse 12 uh, you kind of think God just said you wouldn't be attacked, and here you are being attacked. And so you've got to understand some of the difference here is that uh, you won't be attacked to be harmed. And so one is a physical attack. Um, that doesn't happen. What you see here is a legal attack, right? They drag him before the tribunal and, and want the law to do their bidding for him. Um, and so they bring him to trial on the basis that Christianity violates the law. And they, and they say this. There's a good reason they say this, because now in the Roman Empire, you could practice other religions, but they had to be officially recognized by the state, by, by the empire. And uh, Judaism was recognized, and so that was one they could legally practice. And so these Jews' argument was, listen, this Christianity is brand new. It's not official. No one's got any, you know, it's not... Um, affiliated or whatever you might call it, and so they're practicing something wrong. Uh, Gallio's response, though, it's almost like he's talking to two children uh, arguing over some ridiculous issue, right? Like, he's playing PS4, and mom said he could only play the Xbox, um, and he's thinking, well, these, these both sound like video games to me. Go outside and play. You know, it's this, basically, there's no crime here, so just go work it out between the two of you. 
And, and, and here's, it's kind of interesting here because the text is real unclear. You don't know who beats him, right? Uh, this poor guy, Sosthenes, he ends up taking Crispus's spot as the leader in the, in the um, synagogue. And, and they end up getting beat. But we don't know, is it the Romans who beat him as some form of anti-Semitism? Uh, or is it the, the Jews who beat him because he didn't manage to actually get the Christians stopped from being able to practice what they were doing? Uh, whatever the case, we know Gallio does nothing. He just watches this, tells you a little something about him. Um, so anyway, let's move forward. Uh, follow along your Bibles, verses 18 through 21. After this... Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of, his, of the brothers, and he set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila uh, at the Centra Tria. I'm from Texas. I can't pronounce that. Uh, he had to cut his hair, for he was under a, under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay lo- for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. And so having spent those 18 months back in Corinth, Paul set sail for Syria. Uh, This is now a boat going back towards the place where he came from, the church that sent him. Uh, And in verse 18, it tells us that that, uh, about this vow that Paul is under. Okay, there is all sorts of speculation what kind of vow. No one's exactly sure. Uh, It could have been a Nazarite vow, similar to what we saw Samson do. But most likely, this is just a personal vow. People would do this. Um, and, and they wouldn't cut their hair until this vow is complete. And so we don't know what it's about. This is speculation. I'll make that very clear. Um, but most believe it was something along the lines of, you know, God, please give us fruitful ministry or keep us safe as we minister in these new lands. Uh, whatever the case, now that he's leaving, it's kind of that period is over and he cuts his hair as, as just a way of showing gratitude to God. Like, God, we made this vow and, and you were wonderful to me. Um, and so after preaching Christ in the synagogue in Ephesus, uh, he declines their request to stay longer. They want him to stick around. Uh, this is good, right? Most people run him out of town. Uh, but he tells them, if God wills, I will come again. And so he's putting into practice what you know you and I know from the book of James. Uh, I know the North Paris group studied this recently. James 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Um, there's a, a pre- time in history before our current time when, when Christians would use these letters, letters DV. I don't know if you've ever looked at any old, old documents, but you'd see this DV and you probably wondered what it meant. They'd put it next to dates and church bulletins or um, they'd sign their letters with this DV. Uh, and, and maybe you've seen it anyway. It's the Latin words that are Dio volente, and they mean God willing. Um, kind of a, a beautiful statement. You know, it might be a beautiful thing to bring back. You know, just that DM. It's a, a reference to the fact of God willing, we will meet on this date and worship the Lord or whatever it might be. Um, so anyway, God does will it. He's later going to return to Ephesus. We'll see that. He'll stay around for three years, and so he comes back for a while. Uh, And then he sails away, and and that brings us to our last section today, verses 22 uh, through 28. Follow along. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church, and he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed, and he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, confident in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. 
And being fervent in spirits, he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when, when he wished to cross the Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by, scripture, by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so in this text, we see the end of the second missionary journey of Paul, and we see the beginning of the third missionary journey of Paul. Uh, in fact, you see 1,500 miles of travel summarized in just a few verses. Um, and, and we get this picture then that Paul is traveling back to the place that he's from, and it says that he greeted the church. This means he went to Jerusalem, okay? Um, and, and then he goes down, or as we tend to think of it on our maps, he goes up uh, to Antioch. And it's worded that way because the way uh, the temple was built on a hill, and so they always spoke of going up to Jerusalem, up to the temple. And everywhere else you went was down from there, down from Jerusalem, down from the temple, uh, no matter which way it was on the map. Uh, in verse 24, we're introduced to Apollos. He's this guy from Alexandria, which is a city in Egypt. Uh, this was a, a place that was just known for its knowledge. That's probably why they mentioned where he's from. Uh, it's like when, when you and I might say, you know, oh, he's from that Ivy League school. You know, he's from Harvard, or he's from Yale, or she's from Princeton, or Brown, or whatever it might be. I don't know all the Ivy League schools. But uh, <clears throat> Apollos, then, is, is clearly this gifted speaker, okay? Uh, Paul's not. We learn that later. But, but Apollos is a gifted speaker as, he, um, as he's called eloquent. Uh, he's competent in the scriptures. And when this word scriptures here, we're talking the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and he knows them very well. He has been instructed in the way of the Lord. Of the Lord. Uh, he's got a good basic understanding of the gospel. And he's, what he's teaching, he's teaching accurately. Uh, however, he knows only about the baptism of John the Baptist. And we're going to look at what that means in great detail next week. Uh, so I'm not going to go into it here. Uh, I do want to be clear of one thing here, though, that Apollos is a true believer, okay? Um, he has believed on, on Jesus Christ. He has received the Holy Spirit. But his theology, his, his knowledge of the Christian essentials is, is incomplete. That's what they're saying. Um, and, and Aquila and Priscilla, they, they recognize this. You can almost imagine them listening to Apollos preach, and, and maybe, you know, they're talking to each other a little bit during it. Um, you know, back and forth, you know, oh, that's great, that's beautiful, but, you know, he never mentioned Christian baptism. Um, and, and what's great is they're like, well, let's, let's invite him over, let's have this conversation afterwards. And, and, and they do, you know, when they, when they do talk to him, it, it would be this moment then where a guy like Apollos that is elegant, eloquent and, and such, he, he could have easily been very arrogant and refused their wisdom. And yet, when this, this husband and wife couple of Priscilla and Aquila minister to him by explaining more accurately the gospel and the baptism, uh, he receives it. He, he's humble enough to, to study and, and, and to learn, and that's a very important thing. Um, I read this, this quote, a guy named H.B. Charles, uh, recently, and roughly what he said was, um, when a man desires to preach but is unwilling to study God's word, he really desires to perform. Um, unfortunately, in this era of the church, we have far too many performers standing before congregations on Sunday mornings. Uh, and I only mention this. I know it's kind of one of those negative terms. I only mention it because we're in a very transient town. Uh, many of you, two, three years from now, will have moved away, and you'll be looking for a church home again. And when you are, I want you to be very careful, encourage you to be very careful that you do not settle at a church 
uh, where the pastor is performing instead of preaching from the Word of God. Um, find a church, not just to attend, but to, to, to join a membership with where the Word of God is, is opened and, explaining, and explained because, uh, honestly, boring preaching from God's Word is a way more true benefit to you and to your family than entertaining preaching that has been derived from some amateur psychology somewhere. Okay? That being said, God willing, in most cities, you will be able to find a place uh, where the Bible is faithfully preached and it also engages your mind. You shouldn't have to compromise. Hopefully you won't. Um, and so thinking of our text today, Apollos was a man who was willing to study. He was willing to be taught, to grow, uh, to learn, and I absolutely love that. He's preaching what he knows, but he's teachable, and he shows this humility um, by this willingness to be just corrected by this loving couple. So I want you to notice something else here. Aquila and Priscilla, they're not apostles, right? They're not elders, they're not pastors, but they are faithful Christians who know the word of God, and in Christ's church is greatly blessed by their ministry to this young, young preacher. Um, and, and take note of this. Notice the way they do this, because uh, the day might come, if it hadn't already, that you're going to find yourself somewhere under teaching where you are frustrated by what you are hearing. Um, and so be careful you don't just get angry and criticize that teacher. You know, we have a tendency, let me go tell everyone what's wrong with this guy. Uh, what we see here is Priscilla and Aquila, they don't just tell others, you know, what a terrible teacher he is. They don't just gather supporters against him. No, they take him aside and they private, privately and they show him more accurately an understanding of the word. So remember this when it, when it comes, you know, particularly in Reformed circles, when we're seeing people come to understand the sovereignty of God. You know, too often as Reformed people, we, we fail to be charitable to those who think differently. Um, so do correct. That's right. That's good. But, but, but you know, do point them to Scripture. That's wonderful. But do so lovingly, patious, patiently, graciously, and, and with humility. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila then, you know, what we see here is their goal is to build him up, not to tear him down and kick him out, but to build him up and encourage him on in the ministry uh, to correct what's lacking. And, and so this man and this woman do a wonderful job of, of teaching Apollos this. Uh, more under accurate understanding of the gospel and baptism uh, and such. So then Apollos then travels, right? So that's not the end of his ministry. He travels to Achaia, and he's carrying this letter of support from the, from the church in Ephesus. Uh, and there we, hear, we read that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He did so by you know, publicly engaging the Jews, and he was able to argue and dispute with them and, and show them from Scripture that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Messiah you have been waiting to for. Okay, so let's, let's bring this all to a close. Uh, what we've seen in this chapter, chapter 18, is, is faithfulness in various forms. Paul was faithful to proclaim the good news to the lost. Um, Titius was faithful to open his home, uh, showing hospitality to them. Priscilla and Aquila were faithful to teach and to build up this young, young preacher. Apollos was faithful to receive correction and then to go out and proclaim the gospel. You see, faithful ministry work, and I'm not talking vocational. I know we have that distinction sometimes, but faithful ministry is difficult work. It is emotionally exhausting. It is physically exhausting. Uh, it can be filled with all sorts of rejection, and, and, and I warn you of that. But as Pastor Thomas has written, faithfulness is a basic necessity of Christian youthfulness, usefulness. Uh, and so be encouraged. Because God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. And that, that we can do by, by Christ working in and through us. 
First uh, Corinthians three five through seven. Uh, it might be an encouragement for us today as we hear this. There, Paul writes, "What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth." So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You know, you can add your name to that. What then am I? We're merely servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we might plant, we might water, but it's God who causes the growth. And so church, listen, you know, do not give up hope. Um, and do not stop Asking God through prayer in the name of Jesus for the conversion of people you care about simply because God has not worked in their life yet. Uh, he might. He may. Keep praying. Keep pursuing. Keep putting yourself in a position where you might proclaim the gospel to him. Let's pray. Father, I confess and I imagine I am not alone in this confession. At times my lips are silent in the face of fear. Fear of what others might think of me if I tell them that they need you. If I tell them that you're God. If I tell them that um, you came as a man and have died for my sin. And that on the third day you were risen back, to back from death to life. Uh, if I tell them that you continue to live today and will forever. God, we believe that. But in fear we can be silent. And so God, we ask that you... You take away our fear and open our mouths to speak of your wonderful glory and your merciful gospel. May we speak the truth in love and no longer fear rejection or harm. May we speak the truth knowing that it is not our eloquence, but the Holy Spirit who sprouts life from the seed of your word that we scatter from place to place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.